0: Our reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 13, verses 18 to 21, and this is what Holy Scripture says. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is God's wisdom for us. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again to King's Church. I'm David. I'm the assistant pastor here at King's Church. Our lead pastor, Jason, is actually preaching at another church today, and uh, please be praying for him as he, um, you know, is is stepping into a situation that that may be a little difficult. So please, you're praying for for Jason, but he'll be back here next week. And um, this morning, uh, if you're new or visiting with us, we're continuing a series through the sermon, uh, continuing a series through the book of Luke. So before we begin, let's go before God again in prayer. Our Father God, we are in need of your grace. Give us eyes to see what your kingdom is truly like. Help us to understand your will, your ways, your plan, your rule and your reign over all things, rule and reign over our hearts today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bigger is better Perhaps that's something you've heard before. This principle, this value and love for bigness is a hallmark of our American culture. For instance, take our cars. Now if any of you have traveled overseas or maybe especially to Europe, one thing you'll notice immediately is how many small compact cars are always zipping around those cobblestone streets. And Europeans are likewise fascinated by the number of large SUVs and trucks that dominate our roads. According to market research firm IHS Automotive, larger vehicles made up to 63% of all total U.S. auto sales in 2013. But outside the U.S., larger vehicles only made up 25% of total sales in 2013. The same firm also found that 88% of all pickups sold in the U.S. in that same year were the full-size model, whereas overseas, that number shrunk to a mere 17.7%. Unless you think that in the last five years we've moved away from buying large vehicles, in 2018, another market research firm found that when it came to the sales of new vehicles in the U.S., SUVs, this, this surprised me, made up 48% 48% of all vehicles sold in the U.S. that year, nearly half, while cars, you think think sedans, only made up 32% of the market. The remaining 20% was also larger cars, vans and trucks. And the best-selling vehicle in 2018, and I think it's been the best-selling vehicle for many years running, is the Ford F-Series, which sold over 900,000 units. Even electric vehicles, which once were associated with the environmentally conscious and often reflected in their compact hatchback design, give it up to American companies to be the first to make gigantic electric trucks such as Tesla's upcoming Cybertruck. So clearly, we like bigger cars. How about our homes? In 2014, Professor Sonia Hurt of the University of Georgia found that out of the two dozen developed countries that she studied, the U.S. had the largest-sized homes on average, a good 600 to 800 square feet larger than most of the competition. Another study found that the average new home constructed in the U.S. is approximately 2,200 square feet. In the U.K. and Ireland, the average new home hovers at around 900 square feet. Bigness, hugeness, has been a great source of American identity and pride historically and in the present. And less so as Americans, just really as humans, we are impressed by large things. Great kings have always tried to build the largest monuments or buildings possible. Just look at the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Ambitious rulers throughout history, from Alexander the Great to Genghis Khan, have tried to carve out the largest kingdoms possible. And unfortunately, the church is not immune to this way of thinking that bigger is better. We tend to assume that when a church is large and powerful, that church is doing something right. God is with them, and the really amazing stuff is happening there. And we think that if we want to be a church that changes the world, we have to grow and become large and important. And this isn't all criticism. There's often a selfless impulse and the desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to give ourselves to the work of God's kingdom and make a difference in the world, but perhaps where Jesus wants to challenge our thinking today is that the growth of God's kingdom is not about becoming visibly powerful or influential by the world's standards. As a church, or even in our personal lives, God's kingdom starts small, grows gradually and invisibly, but will, in the end, Exceed all human expectation. That's at the heart of the two parables we'll be looking at today in Luke 13, verses 18 through 21. So turn with me there, whether in your physical or electronic Bibles, and let's look at what Jesus has to say about the surprising nature of God's kingdom. The first surprising characteristic of God's kingdom is that it starts humbly, it starts humbly. Last week, Jason led us through verses 10 through 17, just before this passage, explaining how the Sabbath is meant to heal our bodies, minds, and souls. It was a convicting and much needed sermon for our busy lives today, mine included. So I encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here. And one thing we should notice as we move into our passage is that Jesus' miraculous healing of this woman was meant to show that God's kingdom was advancing, God's kingdom was moving forward breaking into a world that was held in bondage to sin and Satan. In verse 16, Jesus says, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now, no doubt there were skeptics in the crowd who wondered, is Jesus the real deal or is he just a sham? Is he really the son of God that he claims to be? Because While Jesus healing this woman who had been bent over for 18 years was a real miracle, it wasn't a top-tier miracle, so to speak. For one, this was a miracle done to a woman. And unfortunately, in first-century Greco-Roman and Jewish society, women were seen as less significant. And being a disabled woman for so many years, disabled people were often also on a lower social tier. And a skeptic might think, Why didn't Jesus heal someone more worthy or rich or powerful? What kind of kingdom is Jesus really announcing? A top-tier miracle would have been something more along the lines of Moses and the Exodus. We're talking plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, victory and freedom from a powerful, oppressive government. And there's nothing more that a first-century Jew desired than for the promised Messiah, the coming king, to overthrow the oppressive, powerful Roman government. That was a miracle that would have been worthy of of God's kingdom. Now, some of these questions were undoubtedly in people's minds, which led Jesus to say in verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? And in verse 19, he compares the beginning of the kingdom to a grain of mustard seed. And in his follow-up parable in verse 21, he compares the beginning of the kingdom to leaven. And in both of these comparisons, the dominant theme is small and humble beginnings. The parallel passage in Matthew 13, 31 through 33 makes it obvious. Verse 32 actually goes out of its way to point out that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Now, while the mustard seed isn't the absolute smallest seed in the Guinness Book of World Records, Jesus is just making a point with an illustration they were familiar with. In that agricultural society, everyone would have known what a mustard seed was and known that it was indeed very small, a very small seed, about two to three mill- millimeters in diameter. And I have a, think I have a picture of a mustard seed in comparison to a penny. It is a small seed. And along similar lines, leaven would have also been a small piece of old dough, which would have been placed into a, large por- a larger portion of dough, So that the yeast it carried might spread and cause the bread to rise. Again, the emphasis is on the small size of that leaven. And the point Jesus is making is that the kingdom of God starts humbly. Its beginnings are not impressive, but insignificant, like the tiny mustard seed. It begins with a woman being healed. It begins with a ragtag dozen of disciples who are fishermen, a revolutionary, even a tax collector, but who turned the world upside down with the gospel. And it began with a babe born in a manger, not a royal palace, the son of a carpenter from the backwater region of Galilee, whose ministries and deeds were so lowly that even his cousin, John the Baptist, had to ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? But we are here today. Today because of him. Because we, through grace, by faith, have been brought into his kingdom. Perhaps some of you here today are discouraged. Why are more churches across America shrinking and dying rather than being planted and growing? Why isn't our church, King's Church, bigger and grander? We're coming on 15 years of existence and we're still in a school? Why does it feel like And why does it feel like my love, encouragement, my attempts to encourage faith in my spouse, my child, or my parent has barely had any effect? We might even look at ourselves in all our weaknesses and sins and despair at the thought that God could possibly use us for his kingdom. Some of you this week undoubtedly heard the news that Jeff Bezos set a California record by buying the most expensive property in LA to date. Bezos bought David Geffen's nine acre estate in Beverly Hills for $165 million. And while that is a mind boggling sum, what's even crazier is that 165 million is just an eighth of a percent of his 131.9 billion net worth. And maybe some of you thought for a moment when you heard that news, or maybe as you're hearing it now, once you absorb that staggering sum, man, if only Jeff Bezos was a Christian. (laughs) Think about all the good he could do for God's kingdom. He could snap up properties and hand them out to churches. He could quite possibly buy a Bible for everyone in the world, which is a mere 7.8 billion people, right? And while we do want Jeff Bezos to place his faith in Jesus, just as we desire for all to know him, God ordinarily doesn't work through the rich and the powerful. And praise God for that. Because many of us here are not the rich and powerful. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, Paul tells the Corinthian Christians, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So if you consider yourself today weak and foolish, low and despised, take heart God uses and delights in using such people as you and me for his kingdom. His kingdom starts humbly. Now, just as we've been trained to think that bigger is better, we also think faster is better. We're impressed by how quickly a car can go from zero to 60 or the astronomical growth of a new startup. Fortune Magazine and Forbes regularly have features on the top 100 fastest-growing companies. But when was the last time you saw a feature on the top 100 slowest-growing companies? Never, right? God's kingdom, again, surprises us with the way that it grows, which brings us to the second surprising characteristic of God's kingdom. The second surprising characteristic of God's kingdom is that it grows gradually and invisibly, The two parables emphasize two distinct but related aspects when it comes to the growth of God's kingdom. From the parable of the mustard seed, we see that God's kingdom grows gradually. In this highly agricultural society, everyone knew that for a seed to become a tree was a slow, gradual process. Weeds can certainly spring up overnight, but for a tree to reach full maturity often would take years, even decades. And while leaven can work a bit more quickly in causing dough to rise, for for those of you who, who have baked bread before, we should note that this was, in fact, a very large amount of dough. Three measures of flour was over 50 pounds of flour. But more importantly, we should notice from that parable that the idea of hiddenness is emphasized. In verse 21, we notice that Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Not unlike the growth of a tree, the work of leaven in a lump of dough is not visible to human eyes. The work of yeast happens from within. All we see is the end result. Jesus is making the point that the kingdom grows gradually and invisibly. It is far less like a skyscraper being built downtown with soaring cranes and clamor and noise and a ribbon-cutting ceremony with cameras flashing, but it's much more like an acorn that falls to the earth sprouts grows and after decades becomes a massive oak tree rooted and strong in a fast-paced results-oriented culture Jesus' description of kingdom growth rubs against the grain including when it comes to the way we think about church and ministry we may in order to get results attract to attract people to grow be tempted to shift our focus away from an ordinary means of grace ministry. And what do I mean by that? Well, pastor and theologian Ligon Duncan helps us out here and says, ordinary means of grace-based ministry is a ministry that focuses on doing the things that God in the Bible says are central to the spiritual health and growth of his people. Over and over again in scripture, And affirmed in every age of the church, the ordinary means of grace, the normal way that God transforms the lives of broken sinners into glorious images of Christ is primarily through word, sacrament, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. There's nothing cutting edge or flashy about these means, but God has chosen to expand his kingdom, communicate his grace, extend his rule and reign in people's hearts through these means. His extraordinary grace that sanctifies us, strengthens us, assures us, comes in the humble and ordinary ways of word, sacrament, and prayer lived out in the life of the church. Professor Michael Horton says, CNN will not be showing up at a church that is simply trusting God to do extraordinary things through his ordinary means of grace delivered by ordinary servants. But God will. Week after week, These means of grace and the ordinary fellowship of the saints that nurtures and guides us throughout our life may seem frail, but they are jars that carry a rich treasure, Christ with all his saving benefits. Whatever gifts may spill over into other activities and venues, it is by sharing in the ordinary service of Christ to his people each week that we become heirs of eternal life and draw others into his everlasting kingdom. Amen. Be encouraged, then, that the growth of God's kingdom through his church and in your hearts is happening today, here, even now. Despite how ordinary it might look in the eyes of the world and even in our own eyes, God's kingdom is growing gradually and invisibly when we love our neighbors, when we love one another, when we disciple our children and those younger in the faith to know Christ and to make him known. I'm sure some of you grew up in large Famous churches, but according to a national study in 2012, 66% of the churches in America were 100 people or less. On probability alone, many of us came to faith and grew in our faith in smaller churches. Probably many of us did not come to know Jesus through hearing a sermon from a famous preacher, but perhaps a faithful parent or grandparent or youth pastor led you to Christ. And even if you did come to faith through someone famous, who discipled you? Who walked with you as you grew in your faith and taught you how to read the Bible? It might have been your mom or dad or an older saint at the church who took you under her wing, who will never have their own Wikipedia entry and whom history will forget. But these ordinary Christians and their works will never be forgotten by God and the lives that they have affected. What they did will echo down throughout eternity. Don't shortchange ordinary faithfulness because God's kingdom starts humbly and grows gradually and invisibly through ordinary people like you and me. I'm not sure if I used this illustration before here at King's Church, but it's always resonated with me, so bear with me as I tell it again, possibly. Some of you, hopefully many of you, have heard of Jim Elliott, He was one of the five missionaries who was speared to death in Ecuador in 1956 as those men attempted to reach an isolated and remote people group known as the Horani people. And they were trying to reach them with the gospel for the first time. These people had never heard about who Jesus was. And Jim Elliott famously wrote in his journal, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And though he died, his death bore much fruit, Many went to the mission field, inspired by his legacy, and his death paved the way for others, including his wife Elizabeth, to live among the Huani people, bringing many of them to Christ. But far fewer people know that Jim had an older brother. Bert, who along with his wife Colleen, served in Peru for over 60 years, well into their 80s. Christian author Randy Alcorn met Bert in 2006, and remembers vividly something Bert said to him. Jim and I both serve Christ, but differently. Jim was a great meteor streaking through the sky. Randy Alcorn then added, Bert didn't go on to describe himself, but I will. Unlike his brother Jim, the shooting star, Bert was a faint star that rose night after night, faithfully crossing the same path in the sky to God's glory. In missions work, suffering sometimes results in a short life culminating in martyrdom, sometimes in a long life of daily dying to self and living for Christ. I believe Jim Elliott's reward is considerable, but it wouldn't surprise me to discover that Bert and Colleen's will be greater still. God certainly uses extraordinary events and people like Jim Elliott and his ultimate sacrifice but the growth of his kingdom, for the growth of his kingdom. But he definitely uses ordinary, faithful people like Burt Elliott. May we too be faithful and embrace the gradual, invisible, and ordinary ways that God might do his extraordinary work through us. And his work is truly extraordinary. Though his kingdom starts humbly, grows gradually and invisibly, the end result is that it exceeds all human expectation. This is a third surprising characteristic of God's kingdom, is that it exceeds all human expectation. In the parable of the leaven, Jesus states the parable's conclusion simply. After the woman hid the, three, the leaven in the three measures of flour, it was all leavened. The effect of the leaven on the flour turned into dough was complete and total. One perceptive Bible scholar points out that this leaven was possibly extraordinary in nature. Extraordinary because first, there's no indication that the woman mixed leaven. She simply hid it. Whereas leaven, typically, you have to mix it into the dough so that the dough can rise. And this leaven also seemed to have worked its way through the dough on its own. Second, this leaven had worked its way through a gigantic lump of dough made from 50 pounds of flour, which could have fed 150 people. The sheer size of the dough made the complete and total presence of the leaven all the more extraordinary. In the parable of the mustard seed, we see that the tiny mustard seed grows into a great tree where even the birds nest in its branches. What's interesting is that a great tree providing shade and shelter is actually an Old Testament image of a kingdom and how it brings protection and stability. That's why in Ezekiel 17:22 through 23, God says, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will, I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. Here God is speaking of his kingdom reestablished in days after the exile. And Jesus points to it to say that with me, through me, this is beginning. But what may have confused the hearers is that a fully grown mustard plant is hardly a great tree. It's in fact more of a shrub. It's actually around four feet tall, though sometimes reaching as high as nine feet. It's hardly a a giant impressive cedar that was talked about in Ezekiel. They must have wondered, how could a mustard seed become a giant tree? That's not even possible. But But just just as Jesus' parable surpassed the expectations of his hearers of what was possible, God's kingdom surpasses our human expectations of what is possible. No one could have imagined that Jesus, from the tiny, oppressed nation of Israel, whose ministry only lasted three years, who didn't exactly have an all-star team of disciples, who faced opposition and doubters and hard hearts, who was betrayed by one of his own, who was sentenced to die a criminal's death on a cross, and who did die on that cross and rose again on the third day, was actually undoing, rescuing, restoring, atoning for the sins of the world. He did this so that the good news, the best news, that sinful people could be forgiven and reconciled to their creator through him might begin to spread across time and space across land and ages, across people groups and ethnicities and languages, that God's rule and reign and glory might be seen across the world, the start of the fulfillment of the great promise of Isaiah eleven 19, that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. If you know Christ today, let your hearts be strengthened with hope that God never forgets and he always fulfills his promises. His kingdom is advancing, and it cannot be shaken. You are evidence that the kingdom of God has exceeded all human expectation. His kingdom has gone beyond the nation of Israel and now includes the nations, the Gentiles, you and me, and we have come to experience his life-transforming love and grace. Let us live in hope, faithful hope, that our growth, the growth of others, and the growth of the church is often gradual and invisible. God is doing extraordinary things that will exceed our expectations. Your faithful efforts to lead and love your teenager in your home is watering their faith and they will lead many people to Christ. The physical suffering you experience is laying a foundation of greater dependence and trust so that his glory might shine brighter in and through you than you ever dare to dream. The word you read daily is sending roots deep into your heart so that when the great trial of your life comes, you and everyone around you is amazed at the joy and the power of God that pours forth from you. Let God use and show through our humble, ordinary faithfulness the extraordinary power Of his kingdom. If you don't know who Jesus is today, he's inviting you. He holds out the free offer of the gospel. Come, buy wine and milk, the forgiveness of God, the love of the Savior without money and price. Be part of his kingdom, for his kingdom is the only kingdom worth living for. Let's pray together. Our Father God, Thank you for this text, this text. These parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, they humble us, they remind us that we might seek visible and great signs of glory, but your way is the way of the cross. The way up is the way down. I pray that today all of us would regard ourselves as needy and humble, would see your kingdom as something that is growing and expanding and help us to be faithful, help us to be faithful in all the ways you've called us to be faithful and yet to expect great things, that you will do great and mighty actions that will exceed our expectations as people come to faith, as your church grows and expands in ways that maybe are different from what we might think growth and expansion means. Be with us throughout our week. Give us hope. Let us live in the hope of the gospel. We're only able to hope because of Jesus. So in his name, amen.